Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Davin Loeb is the author of The In-Betweens, a lyrical memoir. Davin is an assistant features editor at The Rumpus. He earned an MFA in creative writing from Rutgers University Camden and has had work published in The Sun Magazine, The Los Angeles Times, The Philadelphia Inquirer, Catapult Magazine, Plowshares, The Rumpus, Joyland Magazine, Gulf Coast Journal, and elsewhere. Davin is a husband, father, and teacher located in New Jersey. Welcome, Devon. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The In-Betweens, a lyrical memoir. Thank you so much for having me, Zoe. You are such a beautiful writer. I'm glad you put lyrical right there on the cover because <laughs> it is so true. The way you describe anything from a beer can to, you know, any ordinary scene with kids becomes this like beautiful, poetic moment with such sensory inputs that you feel like you're completely there. So, Wow to your writing. How did you become such a great writer? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for saying that. And, you know, I, I always think of um, writing in different genres. 
so I started off writing poetry, which is, is absolutely clear. And I found the most difficult thing in writing prose, especially lyrical prose, is trying to keep that poetic muscle throughout a narrative. And so the more I kind of dedicated myself to trying to become a lyrical prose writer, the more I started to build this intuition where I said, okay, here's when the poetics can come out and here is when it's not. Mm -hmm. And so throughout the memoir, there's moments when I'm really diving into the poetics. I really want to build the scene, the ambiance, what the characters look like, what it is that you see in front of you, and then trying to make the transition to just telling you the story just giving you exposition. It took a lot of time to find that balance. And, and I hope that it's apparent in there. It is apparent. It's great. <laughs> Tell listeners a little bit about what the story is about and what it was that you, what the main messages were that you're trying to get across. Sure. So initially I wrote many of these chapters uh, as standalone essays. And then I, I realized that they all fit a, a larger narrative arc about myself as a narrator coming of age and trying to understand where I fit in so many different categories. And I think if we walk outside of the book, many people that may look like me or, or don't are, are in those in-betweens in their everyday life. Between being, I think about my wife, who is a working mom, but also a friend, but also a nurse, but also a reader, but also my wife, and all those different categories that we fit and, and how we can explore that in, in our writing. So as I am, as a biracial, privileged, heterosexual male, I, I wanted to embrace this book by highlighting all of my in-betweenness. So as much as this, it is about race, um, about being Black and being Jewish, it's also about being a kid and not being a teenager yet, being a teenager and not being a man. Um, I wanted to hit all those different categories. So my readers never feel a sense of, well, I don't, I don't look like you or your story is not like mine. In fact, the story is just like all of ours. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's so fitting to be doing this from a school when the spotlight really shines quite heavily on these younger years of your life. And we get like a little snippet at the end, sort of closer to, but mostly it's what it was like growing up and how life looked when you were not like you were only allowed in the house in a pouring rainstorm, right? And otherwise you weren't even allowed. And you tell us how you, we can feel the house kind of shaking when someone runs through it. And, and what do you do with a life like that? And also the role of your parents and not being able to see your dad. Like, talk a little bit about your relationship and my father versus dad and the chapter with the tree falling down. And that was so amazing. Oh my gosh. Talk a little bit about that. Oh, thank you. Uh, I absolutely love, love that chapter. And I wanted to find a way to show like how a young kid can love a step parent fully, but also begin to grow to love a biological father. And so what it feels like when you feel like you're giving one or the other too much love. Mm. And like, and I wanted to keep the kid's perspective that as an adult, looking back on it, I understand how I feel about it. But as a kid, it was like, I had this new friend, but I had this old friend and now they're here in the same place. And like, what do I do? And then how that's shaped through the narrative, through the tree falling. And as much as the tree really fell, it's also the, the symbolism of the narrator becoming a tree and, and the two men fighting for his love in, in their own way. And, and what I also love about that chapter is that it doesn't talk much about race. And sometimes the book is going to be heavy on that, 
But sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's just about this boy and his two dads, and he doesn't know which one to love. And I, I wanted to pu- really push forward through that. Well, as someone who has a stepfather and married to someone who is my kid's stepfather, um, that is a tension I'm very familiar with um, on an intimate level from, from every way. There's that sort of feeling of loyalty and abandonment yeah. and yet love. And it's so complicated. It's just so complicated. <laughs> All of it. And, and, and I like, remember saying like one, one fathered and one was a father mm-hmm. and that there is this distinction. Yeah, absolutely. Do you mind if I read a little passage from the book? Is that okay? Just a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Actually, I wanted to talk about also your aunt Sammy. Maybe we could jump to that and then I'll go read a passage later. You write about your aunt Sammy who was in this horrific attack essentially and left for dead and had to get a steel plate in her head and was never quite the same. And you parallel that story with your own gash in your forehead, which I was like, can I see? Can I not see it? (laughs) My my Uh, eyebrows are growing up a little uh, bit. (laughs) You can't see it as much. (laughs) Yours was a sort of typical childhood thing, like jumping between beds and, you know, still required a lot of, of repair. Tell me about those two stories in parallel and how that linked you to your aunt Sammy and what it meant to have her and, ha- you know, just talk about that relationship. Sure. A little bit more. Yeah. Um, it's funny that I, I actually don't get a chance to talk about that chapter as much, but what, what I, what I love about it is the sense of my, my mom is a narrator during the storytelling, trying to tell this family story of like, this is what you shouldn't do. But also as a kid feeling this sense of like wonder looking at my aunt, that she looks different, that she sounds different. It's almost like having like, you know, being around the cool, the cool aunt or cool uncle that's not, that doesn't do what mom does. Mm -hmm. But there's also this deeper level to it, that that Aunt Sammy was broken. And that even though she looks different, the narrator feels this sense of friendship with her because he's different than, than, than his brother is, than his, than his cousin is, that there is this sense of connection because they're both, they're both different. And then we had the same birthday, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) which was was really fabulous. (laughs) Wait, talk also about the chapter and the scene with you and your grandfather where he was prepping you for how to fight. Yeah. (laughs) The way you wrote about that was so amazing. And then in the midst of it, as he goes inside, you sneak your first taste of his beer (laughs) and he comes back out and then kind of shakes the can a little and you leave the chapter with him just like glaring at you. It was so good. It was like a movie. Well, so I, I love sometimes, I don't think it ends ambiguously. I think sometimes the readers want the, what happens next. And, and I don't believe you need to know that that's not what it's about. But what it's about is trying, the narrator trying to understand his masculinity as a kid, trying to say, well, I'm little and I have glasses and I don't look big and tough and, and, and wrestling with that. And the chapter be- before is there's a fight between the narrator and, and a girl mm-hmm. and and so, like, I wanted to show the complexity of little boys being told how to be big men, mm-hmm. even when they're not. And so tasting the beer was this sense of rebellion and trying to be masculine. Like, like how more can you try to can the narrator try to become like the grandfather, who's this big, strong man by doing the exact same thing that he's doing, which I think young men do so often. Yeah, because you also have the not very accepting reaction when you were playing with dolls at one point and how that was not okay at home. <laughs> yeah. And, and I want, I want the, the storytelling to do the work rather than the didactics of, of looking at masculinity. 
is I want my reader to walk away and say, I, I understand what he's trying to argue without saying, this is what I'm trying to argue. Wow. Well, this passage from early on with your mom and how you describe her to be like the car that was, you know, needed pads and the motor oil was dripping and all that. And you said you might not be able to, but it ran the car, meaning the car, but it ran like how a smoker with emphysema ran. And you might not have been able to tell who was more broken, the car or her, meaning your mom, how her hair had split ends and was wrapped in something faded and frilly and the frames she usually only wore before bed magnified hot and puffy dark eyes. And she had pulled on whatever sweatpants and sweatshirt she could find in the closet so her clothes didn't match. Her perfume wasn't sprayed and she might not have showered at all. And while this does not define a broken woman, this woman was in pieces. Like this car, the two-door 1984 Chevette with no frills, no automated windows, no cassette tape player, no leather seats, no air conditioner, just a box on wheels with an engine, and it sputtered, hissed, and wheezed. When she continued forgetting to press the clutch, the gears ground, and we covered our ears. And you said, like us, crammed together in the back seat, my big sister and big brother and me, a trio of nesting dolls, we watched our mother become something else. For on a normal day, before all of this happened, before the rage and panic, she was regal double-breasted blazer, pleated pants, blouses, begonia bright, and feathery petal soft. Our mother was planned, precise, purposeful, like the inside of a paper planner. But now she said things under her upheaving chest, the rising and falling of breath as if she were still pacing around our house, still throwing whatever she could into her military-issued duffel. Oh my gosh, so good. So It's, it's a little so long-winded. <laughs> no, it's not long-winded. It's really beautiful. It's so beautiful. And those couple paragraphs we have a sense of story like before the after entry like what happened to her like how did she get from point a to point b like what happened tell me about writing that and how you even pick your scenes and what you know all that so it for me i I, at the time i didn't think about this idea of like tenor and vehicle and like trying to really use the car metaphorically like i just kept remembering the car Mm-hmm. So as a creative writing teacher and college teacher, I, I try to say, like, start with the image first and then describe the image as much as you can and then and then bridge it into the narrative. And so mm-hmm. clearly I'm I'm trying to show that the mother becomes like the car. But the easy way to do that is to focus on the details of the car. And then the bridge starts to expand where you're seeing how I'm making the connections. And And at the same time, like on a sentence level, I'm trying to give you that big juxtaposition that this is what she looks like right now. But however, this is what she's normally like. And I think without the juxtaposition, without showing the opposite, that that scene doesn't land as hard. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you end up going back to it. And then that goes back to the poetics of it is why did I say begonia <laughs> rather mm-hmm. than a different color? And it's for right. the sound, it's for the cadence. Yep. It's, it's, it's that I know that the shirt was bright. So I, I want to focus on the language to, to do that work for me to show you that juxtaposition because the tone changes Hmm. and the description of them. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So take me from basically when the book ends to now. What is sure. going on in your life? <laughs> yeah. So this was, my wife always laughs at me about it because she's not in my book. She's in my dedication and she's in my acknowledgments, but I needed to end when I'm becoming, for me, when I'm becoming a man, mm-hmm. when I'm becoming an adult, when I've come of age. And while the, the, the man that I was at the end of the book is not the man, the father, the parent that I am today, I felt like I needed to end, I needed to end it there. That the narrator is afraid to become, and in that chapter, this tokenized black teacher who's falling apart, who's, who's, whose life is beginning to feel like meaningless. And, and that's when I, you know, started teaching and I'm 13 years in. <laughs> and so where I'm at now is I actually just uh, published an essay uh, at today um, or today's show, which I'm, I'm really excited about. It's about my mom being in the service and thinking about that as a parent um, when she was deployed for the war in Afghanistan. So, so I'm working on a collection of essays about being a parent. And the focus is on when my, as my children are children now, and sort of looking at the stories of, of things that they're doing and what that's teaching me about a parent being a, a father of color, being a father with a working wife and all those, all those different things, but being told through the narrative. Hmm. So I'm really, I'm really excited about, about this project that I'm working on. That's exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> Okay, so Thank what you. are some of the we got some great writing tips from the way you were saying with the car. Now I'm like motivated to go try that with like some <laughs> other objects. What are some of the tips for aspiring authors that you teach your students? So I, I always think of like when I'm writing about parents, right? And and a lot of it is about my parents, is that there's so much emotionality. And like if I tell a student to like write about how you feel about one of your parents, it's you're just flooded with emotion. Good, bad, both. And so I feel like that writing becomes too abstract and the narrative is, is drowned out by the emotion of it. So I'm always saying start with the image, the object, the place, the things that you can describe and let them do the work and then, and then let the emotionality come out of it, right? Like I want to I write a piece where I never have to say how I feel about my mom, but it's shown through the writing. Mm-hmm. There's a really good essay called Whiting by Disha, who wrote The Secret Life of Church Ladies. And it's like one of our smaller pieces, but it's called it's a, it's a piece about the narrator spending time with her father. Her mother's dying of cancer. And she uses the whiting uh, of fish to do the work, mm-hmm. to, to, to be the metaphor of this father who's not giving all of his love. 
And so I always start there when writing about parents because she uses the metaphor to discuss something that's so complex. So I would tell students, I would tell anyone who wants to write, when you're writing about something that's full of such emotion, especially nonfiction, is let the image, let the object do the work for you. And then once you've gotten that, then all the emotionality is just naturally going to pour out. But if you start with emotion first, it just, it always feels too abstract. It always feels like it's too grand. Who is the first reader of what you write? Oh, that's a, <laughs> so right now I have a really good friend. His name is uh, Dave Master, and he is an Italian teacher at the high school that I work at. Also, he's certified in English. So, you know, we love talking work together. He, he's getting into writing about, writing about food and wine. So I always send it to Dave first. And then I send it to my wife because writing is, it's not that she's not a good writer, but she, she thinks a lot more concrete than I do. And like, she'll give me the hard, no, that's not working. <laughs> you know, she, she'll always tell me straight. And I need those two different perspectives. Do you read your work out loud? Absolutely. So my other big advice is I, I remember walking around my classroom during my off period, reading my whole book out loud. You have to do that. If you go back and read the sentence uh, that you read from that essay, you have to read that out loud to get the cadence, mm -hmm. to, to really realize, hey, this word works better here than this one. If you're writing a huge novel, it's harder, but you have to do it, especially in the most poetic moments in, in your writing. Totally agree. I have a novel coming out and my poor husband, I read him the entire book, Yeah, <laughs> but we it's, kept stopping. We kept being like, oh no, because it was so obvious as soon as you read it, that something had to change. And, and record yourself reading it. I, I, or like if, if it is a big novel and it's hard to do that, think about the most poignant moments when you really need to emphasize the language and read that out loud, record it, record yourself reading it out loud, just all those things to really have an understanding of what it sounds like. Hmm. Who do you like to read in your spare time? Like what um, books do you like to read? <laughs> so, so I just started Sing Unburied Sing, mm -hmm. um, which is just, I like, I kept hearing about the book and I want to teach it. I know I'm a couple years behind on it, um, but I'm hoping to teach it this year. And sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's exactly what I want to do in my writing. Or I realized that I'm more like this writer than I thought I was. Justin Torres has a new book coming out and I read We the Animals back in back couple years ago, and then my book was compared to We the Animals, and now rereading it because it's, it's another book that I'm, I'm teaching this year. And I'm just, I'm just amazed at writers who can do what I'm trying to do lyrically and be able to do it in a whole narrative, which is, which is really hard. And do you go back to Alabama or are you in Alabama? So I, I live in New Jersey. And I, I thought I so. I was like, there's yeah. no way you're in yeah. Alabama. I don't know why I can tell that, but I <laughs> can just tell that. <laughs> yeah. So my grandmother uh, relocated to New Jersey, I don't know, maybe about 15 years ago. And so the majority of my family live in New Jersey and some live in Alabama. So I haven't been to Alabama probably since 2005, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I feel like Alabama itself is a character in the book, if you will. And, and that's another, I think, a good piece of writing advice is how does place do so much of the work in the narrative? How, how, how can place push the plot forward? And that sometimes you have to tone character down and let place do the work. Did your mom tell you about those times sneaking away with your dad? Because that felt <laughs> so private that we were privy yeah. to their sort of illicit love affair. <laughs> so what it was initially was thinking about the nature conservatory that they went to. And, and years later, my dad used to take me to the same place. 
And and I think that was a difficult place to start to write the book before I'm born, because I had to take bits and pieces of what my dad said, what, what my mom said, and also trying to fill in some of those gaps with with the time period, with the context. And it's also very private. And so I said, how do I write my parents' love story? And and at times, again, it was very difficult to, to push through that content, but I believe that it's, it's one of the most beautiful pieces in the book. And in order for my readers to understand the narrator, it has to start there. Mm-hmm. Well, it it definitely showed you as a product of so much love, right? It, from so much joy and that sense of, I don't know, I want to say freedom, I don't know why, but that, you know, that they were just doing what they wanted to and yeah. letting love sort of dictate the answer. I don't know. <laughs> Very cool. Has anyone in your family read the book yet? Yes. You know, my mother is almost the biggest character in the book other than the narrator. There, there's yep. so many moments when she has to, to push, push the story along because I don't, I don't know it. So I, I always think about when you're writing people, when you're writing parents, you have to write them fully. Is that like, even though I, I don't have the greatest relationship with my biological father, you also understand why, that he's not just a villain. And I think it's so important when we're writing memoir to be able to, if you can, I mean, some people are just despicable, but be able to write people fully and wholly. And, and, I, and I believe that I did that, that every character in the book is not just used as a, a narrative marker to move the story along. Mm-hmm. Wow. What are you most looking forward to with the book coming out? Is it a tour stop? Is it is it somebody in particular <laughs> reading it? Like, what are you like? Yes, this is coming up. So I've I've had some some good some good press getting in um, USA Today. The Philadelphia Inquirer was great. Being here, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I love the 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 authors you have. I mean, clearly Matthew McConaughey is amazing. You know, <laughs> to, to be able to be in in this virtual space with people that I admire. And, and I think as readers and writers today, we don't know who's reading our book. We, we, don't, we don't always know. And so for me, what's the most magical thing, it's not necessarily the book sales, how many reviews I get, it's, it's when it's going into classrooms, right? That's my goal for this book, is that teachers will read it. That I wrote it in a way, as an educator, that students would feel really drawn to the to not only the narratives, but the way that the narratives are written, that they are standalone pieces that you can also read in an entire arc. And it is my hope that, that it, it finds its way in classrooms. And in some, in some classes it has, but that's the dream for me. Amazing. Devon, congratulations. It's beautiful. You're a beautiful writer. Uh, I really you. wish you all the best. And I'm so glad I got to spend time with your book and with you. Thank you so much. And, <laughs> and again, thank you. Thank you for making time. For me and my work, um, I and I really admire you as a reader and being able to celebrate so many of us and in a time where I feel like books aren't always being celebrated fairly and equally. So thank you. It's a joy. Right. It's a true joy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Back Have to class. Nice Back to class. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.